Chapter 35 of Faulkner. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Beth Blakely, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Faulkner by Mary Shelley. Chapter 35. That night was spent in traveling, and without any sleep. Neville saw the daybreak in melancholy guise. Struggling with the clouds, with which a southeast wind veiled the sky, nature looked bleak and desolate, even though she was still dressed in her summer garments. It was only the latter end of August, but so changeable is our climate, that the bright festive days which he had lately enjoyed in Sussex were already followed by chill and dreary precursors of the year's decline. Gerard reached Dromore at about noon. He learned that his father had arrived during the night. He had slept a few hours, but was already gone out. It appeared that he had ridden over to a neighbor, Mr. Ashley, for he had inquired if he were in the county, and had, with his groom, both on horseback, taken the road that led toward his house. Neville hastily took some refreshment while he ordered a horse to be saddled. His heart led him to seek and view a spot which he had once before visited, and which seemed accurately described in Faulkner's narrative. He left behind him the woods of Dromore, and the foldings of the green hills in which it was situated. He descended towards the barren dreary shore, the roar of ocean soon met his ear, and he reached the waste sands that border that melancholy coast. He saw the line of sandhills, which formed a sort of bulwark against the tide. He reached at length a rapid yet shallow stream, which was about twenty yards wide, flowing over a rough bottom of pebbles. The eye easily reached its utmost depth. It could not be more than two feet. Could that be the murderous, furious estuary in which his mother had been borne away? He looked across. There stood the hut. There the moss-grown, leafless oak, and gathered round it was a crowd of men his father and two or three other gentlemen on horseback were stationed near while some labourers were throwing up the sand beneath the withered trunk when we have long thought of and grieved over an incident if any outward object bring the image of our thoughts bodily before us it is strange what an accession of emotion stirs the depths of the heart for many hours neville's mind had dwelt upon the scene in all its parts the wild waste sea dark and purple beneath the lowering clouds the dreary extent of beach, the far stupendous mountains thrown up in sublime irregular grandeur, with cloud-capped peaks and vast gulfs between, a sort of cyclopean screen to the noble landscape, which they encompassed with their wide majestic extent. His reflections had selected the smaller objects, the river, the hut, the monumental tree, and it seemed as if actual vision could not bring it home more truly. But when he actually beheld these objects, and the very motive of his coming was revealed, as it were, by the occupation of the men at work, his young heart, unhardened by many sufferings, sickened, the tears rushed into his eyes, and the words, "'Oh, my mother!' burst from his lips. It was a spasm of uncontrollable pain. An instant afterward he had mastered it, and guiding his horse through the ford with tranquil mien, though pale and sad, he took his station abreast with his father. Sir Boyville turned as he rode up. He manifested no surprise, but he looked thankful and even triumphant, Gerard thought, and the young man himself, as he contemplated the glazed eyes and attenuated form of his parent, which spoke of the weight of years despite his still upright carriage and the stern expression of his face, felt that his right place was at his side to render the support of his youthful strength and active faculties. The men went on with their work in silence, nor did any speak. The sand was thrown up in heaps, the horses pawed the ground impatiently, and the hollow murmurs of the neighboring breakers filled every pause with sound, but no voice spoke, or if one of the laborers had a direction to give, it was done in whispers. At length some harder substance opposed their progress, and they worked more cautiously, 
mingled with the sand they threw out pieces of dark substance like cloth or silk and at length got out of the wide long trench they had been opening with one consent though in silence every one gathered nearer and looked in they saw a human skeleton the action of the elements which the sands had not been able to impede had destroyed every vestige of a human frame except those discoloured bones and long tresses of dark hair which were wound around the skull a universal yet suppressed groan burst from all gerard felt inclined to leap into the grave but the thought of the many eyes all gazing acted as a check and a second instinctive feeling of pious reverence induced him to unfasten his large black horseman's cloak and to cast it over the opening sir boyville then broke the silence you have done well my son let no man lift that covering or in any way disturb the remains beneath do you know my friends who lies there do you remember the night when mrs neville was carried off the country was raised but we sought for her in vain on that night she was murdered and was buried here a hollow murmur ran through the crowd already augmented by several stragglers who had heard that something strange was going on all pressed forward though but to see the cloak now become an object of curiosity and interest several remembered the lady whose mouldered remains were thus revealed in the pride of youth and beauty warm of heart kind beloved and this was all left of her these unseemly bones were all earth had to show of the ever-sweet alethea mr ashley kindly assists me continued sir boyville we are both magistrates the coroner is already sent for a jury will be summoned when that duty is performed the remains of my unfortunate much-wronged wife will be fitly interred these ceremonies are necessary for the punishment of the murderer we know him he cannot escape and you every one of you will rejoice in that vengeance which will be mine at last execrations against the villain burst from every lip yet even then each eye turned from old sir boyville whose vindictive nature had been showed before towards the hapless victim herself to the young man the son whose grief and pious zeal had been the theme of many a gossip's story and who now pale and mute as he was showed in his intent and woe-struck gaze more true touch of natural sorrow than sir boyville's wordy harangue could denote we must appoint constables to guard this place said sir boyville mr ashley assented the proper arrangements were made the curious were to be kept off and two servants from dromore were added to the constables then the gentlemen rode off neville bewildered desirous to stay to look once again on what had been his mother yet averse to the vulgar gaze followed them at a slower pace till mr ashley taking leave of sir boyville rode away and he perceived that his father was waiting for him and that he must join him thank you my son said sir boyville for your zeal and timely arrival i expected it of you we are one now one to honour your mother one in our revenge you will not this time refuse your evidence do you then believe that mr faulkner is actually a murderer cried neville let the laws of his country decide on that question replied sir boyville with a sneering laugh i bring forward the facts only you do the same let the laws of his country and a jury of his equals acquit or condemn him your design then is to bring him to a trial asked gerard i should have thought that the publicity i design cried sir boyville with uncontrolled passion to bring him to a fate more miserable than his victims and i thank all-seeing heaven which places such ample revenge in my hands he will die by the hands of the hangman and i shall be satisfied there was something horrible in the old man's look and voice he gloated on the foul disgrace about to be heaped on his enemy the chivalrous notions of gerard a duel between the destroyer and his victim's son was a paltry trifling vengeance compared with the ignominy he contemplated was not the accusation against your mother loud continued sir boyville public universal did not the assembled parliament pronounce upon her guilt and decree her shame and shall her exculpation be hushed up in private 
I court publicity, a less august tribunal, but one whose decisions are no less widely circulated, shall proclaim her innocence. This idea alone would decide my course. If I could so far unman my soul as to forget that vengeance is due, let it decide yours, if so much milk still mingle with your blood, that it sicken at the thought of justice against a felon. Transported by rage, Sir Boyville sought for words bitter and venomous enough to convey his meaning, and Neville discerned at once how much he was incensed by the language used with regard to him in Faulkner's manuscript. Wounded vanity sought to ape injured feelings. In such petty, selfish passions, Gerard could take no share, and he observed, Mr. Faulkner is a gentleman. I confess that his narration has won belief from me. His crime, dressed in his own words, is frightful enough, and heavily, if it be left to me, shall I visit it. But the plan you adopt is too discordant with the habits of persons of our rank of life for me to view it without aversion. There is another which I prefer adopting. You mean, replied Sir Boyville, that you would challenge him, risk your life on the chance of taking his? Pardon me, I can by no means acquiesce in the propriety of such an act. I look on the wrongs he has done us as depriving him of the right to be treated with courtesy, nor do I wish him to add the death of my only son to the list of injuries I have sustained. The old man paused, his lip quivered, his voice dropped. Neville fancied that tenderness of feeling caused these indications. He was deceived, his father continued. I am endeavoring so far to command myself as to speak with moderation. It is difficult to find words to express implacable hatred, so let that go by and let us talk since you can and believe doubtless that i ought calmly and reasonably you would challenge this villain this gentleman as you name him you would put your life on a par with his he murdered your mother and to repay me you would die by the same hand if you speak the truth if he possess a spark of those feelings which as a soldier you have a right to believe may animate him do you think that he would return your fire he raves about remorse in that tissue of infamous falsehoods which you put into my hands if he be human he must have some touch of that, and he could not, if he would, raise his weapon against the child of poor Alethea. He will therefore refuse to meet you, or meeting you, refuse to fire, and either it will end in a farce for the amusement of the world, or you will shoot a defenceless man. I do not see the mercy of this proceeding. Of that, sir, said Neville, we must take our chance. I will take no chance, cried his father. My unfortunate wife was borne off forcibly from her home. You can bear witness to that. Two men carried her away, and no tidings ever again reached us of her fate. And now one of these men, the arch-criminal, chooses to gloss over these circumstances, events as it pleases him, tells his own story, giving it such graces of style as may dupe the inexperienced, and we are to rest satisfied and say, It is so? The absurdity of such conduct would mark us as madmen. Enough of this. I have reasoned with you as if the decision lay with me, when in fact I have no voice on the subject it is out of my hands. I have made it over to the law, and we can but stand by and view its course. I believe, and before heaven and your country you must assert the same, that the remains we have uncovered are all that is left us of your lost mother. The clandestine burial at once declares the guilt of murder. Such must be the opinion of impartial judges, if I mistake not. I can interfere no further. The truth will be sifted by three juries. This is no hole-and-corner vengeance. Let our enemy escape, in God's name, if they acquit him. But, if he be guilty, then let him die, as I believe he will, a felon's death. Sir Boyville looked on his son with glassy eyes, but a sneering lip that spoke of the cruel triumph he desired. There is Ravenglass, he added. There the coroner is summoned. There the court meets. We go to give our deposition. We shall not lie nor pervert facts. We tell who it was revealed to us your mother's unknown grave. It rests with them to decide whether he, 
who by his own avowal placed her therein, has not the crime of murder on his soul. End of chapter 35. Recording by Beth Blakely.